we made this. everyone and welcome to Without a Mouse Podcast, a podcast where we watch and review the obscure and forgotten live-action Disney movies on the hunt for a hidden gem. Nailed it! Yes! Second time. To take Willy. <laughs> I'm Chris and I'm joined by my good friend Tim. Hello Tim. Hello. How's it going? Um, it's alright, I've had a bit, I've been a bit ill this week, I'm uh... Had a bit of a throat infection. Oh dear. Yes, it's not been good. No, it's like the worst infection you can get for a podcast. Uh, yeah, so that's why we're, it's, we wanted to record last week, but we haven't been able to. Yeah, and that's why I bought my own microphone this time. I'll tell you what, as well, this week, I've uh, I bought a new toothbrush, mm. and it's really unnerved me. In what way? Well, I bought, like, have you ever had, like, a really soft, bristled toothbrush before? Yeah. It feels like I'm brushing my teeth with a wig. <laughs> It's like it's trying to like... It's like you've got a a very long moustache and you don't realise it's got tangled in there. Yeah, it's very unnerving. I bought it by accident and I'm not enjoying it. And it's it's thrown off my whole week. (laughs) That bad, eh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think one's related to the other with a throat infection? Well, it could be, yeah. I mean, it's not like a virus or anything like that. It's just like loose loose hair all clogged up down your throat. Everything to do with my oral well-being is just off this week. It were. It were. <laughs> anyway. Sorry, I'll put my wine down. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tim's drinking this episode. And uh, what type of wine is it? Uh, it's a Shiraz. Oh, fancy. Yeah, from uh, Lidl, so not that fancy. Mm. But, yeah, um, last week, for, uh, well, last time we recorded... I went for the coffee because uh, I was nervous, and then we're experimenting this week. We'll see what, a couple of glasses of wine. Uh, see how that affects the podcast. Okay, <laughs> positively um, or negatively. And uh, if everyone's wondering, I'm on the lemonade. So, uh, cheers. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> yeah, because uh, I had to. Chris is so straight edge, you see. I am, and I've <laughs> been since the age of sixteen, back when the uh, Cleethorpes hardcore straight edge scene was all underway. Though apparently I wasn't actually straight edge, because I didn't like hardcore punk, because at the time I was listening to Nickelback. I was going to say, Limp Biscuit doesn't really class as a straight edge band, does it? Does it not? No. Uh. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Shall we talk about Escape to Witch Mountain? Yeah, go on, man. I, th- <laughs> I think that's why we're here, isn't it? So yeah, last episode, we watched The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. Um, With it- no tennis shoes in it? No, no tennis shoes at all. Really disappointing. And um, we didn't really have very many positive things to say. It was okay. I, I think it's because I've been watching so many horror films for my other podcast, Cinemarchery, com, <laughs> And uh, that I enjoyed seeing people not being killed for a change. Just, you know, absolutely brain stuffed by paint cans. Yeah, you gave it a whole extra gem than I did. So I did, yeah. You were obviously enjoying it more than me. A whole five. Yeah, so hopefully... We'll have more positive things to say about Escape to Witch Mountain. Yeah. Did you do the same as me this time again? Did you watch it on Amazon Prime? Or how did did you view this film this week? I illegally downloaded it. (laughs) (laughs) Alright. Not that we condone that, but... No. um, That's what you did. 
because I decided to watch it at nine o'clock last night because I've been so busy recently. Oh yeah, and, I'm, and Amazon Prime, um, famously known for taking a long time to, to deliver those um, live videos straight to your computer. It wasn't available. What oh. do you mean it wasn't available? I watched it on Prime. Oh, I just realised well, what no, I did. I, well, no, I paid for it, but it was... oh, okay, that explains it. <laughs> uh, I was worried for a minute there because I was on um, a VPN, so it was thought it was, I was in Holland. Because I'll put it on the Dutch VPN so I could illegally download this without being told off by Sky for illegally downloading. You're a naughty boy. I am, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I should have just paid the two quid on I that. I was going to say, video. it was £3.50 to watch this film. That's literally twice the amount of money I've ever made on video editing. I hope you realise that. <laughs> yeah, Chris was just telling me earlier that he's uh, finally made it as a, a video editor. Thanks to his shit posting on, uh, on on Twitter, yeah, on Twitter and Instagram, yeah, and I set up a uh, coffee page, C O dash F I, coffee, Kofi. I, I kept re- uh, I kept pronouncing it as Kofi, like Lo-Fi. Yeah, but it was ages until I realised. Oh, it means coffee. <laughs> yeah, coffee. And someone gave me three dollars, which translated to one pound ninety, and then uh, coffee, Kofi took twenty percent fees. I was going to say that's not even enough to actually buy a coffee, is it? It's not. No, <laughs> not even like a shit-tastic cafe down Freeman Street in Grinsby. It's not even. You can't even afford it there. And as a Freeman Street wanker, you'd know that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a choice. I work there. Yeah, all right. That's how I earn my actual money. <laughs> I can't become a full-time video editor just yet. Anyway, but yes, escape to Mitch <laughs> We're getting sidetracked again. Um, there's going to be quite a few times when we're going to have to link back to the few more ten issues. I feel because oh, uh, this is where we're going to change your notebooks. All oh, right, because you yeah, Chris has now gone from a bright yellow notebook to his bright red Mario notebook. Super Mario bought from HMV, ten pound. Ten pound? It's quite a book. It's quite a nice notebook. Hey, uh, I'm the guy that... It is quite hefty. Hey, I buy those moleskin notepads for like 20 oh. quid for this tiny thing. Oh, it's God. my You're that guy. It's my fetish. Haven't they got Pokemon ones of those? No. Yeah. Uh, so I, you must have at least one of those. Yeah, I've paid 35 quid for the Pokeball one with a special limited edition pen on it. Oh, for a notebook? Yeah. Wow. And yet I'll still illegally download films. <laughs> Yeah, buy one less notebook a month, and then that will be the your entire budget for this show. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, straight away getting into this film, we start with our ominous opening titles. This is a weird one because I really liked it, but mm. it's also quite clearly showing that it's a low budget film. Do you reckon? Yeah, because. So just to quickly describe it, it's the silhouette of our two main characters, as we'll come to know in a minute, Tony and Tia, running towards the screen. And, um, and it's, the, it's kind of like a silhouette, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's filled in. It's a silhouette filled in, but I've, there are a couple of shots where they've clearly just taken existing footage and had to chroma as best as can around it, because I think Tia's legs and ankles get cut off several times. Oh, actually, yeah, I did notice this when yeah. I was watching it, yeah. It's, it's almost like a rotoscope effect, isn't it? They've clearly just sort of animated around some shots from the film. Yeah, I, I get the feeling it's to really spoil the film later on. I get the feeling it's the shot of them running away from the dogs. Yes, because then there's also animated dogs over the top. Yes. So straight away, we're noticing a trend, um, something that I did mention in the last episode, which is that 
even when it's a live action film, Disney just cannot help themselves and have to animate their opening titles yeah. every time. And often I feel that's that can be a disadvantage because often it makes the film look more interesting than it actually ends up being. Yeah, but, right, it's a bit of a problem because I, I, I really love films that have that special opening sequence, basically like for Bond films. Yeah, I, it, I like that, and I think every film should have some sort of that instead of you know like the Avengers. Yeah, this one's uh, this one's getting along those lines. It is quite abstract, isn't it? Because of the the animation style is quite yeah interesting, and and yeah, there's some good on, ominous music, which is actually like it makes it quite a stressful watch. The, this first few minutes, I found. Mm. For for the beginning, for the very beginning of a film, yeah. I thought it was quite intense. It sells itself as a much darker film than what it becomes. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Which, in a way, is a bit of a shame, but just due to personal preference, I like my films a bit darker. That, yeah. So it sets up sort of the wrong tone, but saying that it is, for something that's a bit more low budget, is quite a nice little effective title sequence. You know, as you get to like read the names of the guy playing police officer number three. Yeah, so straight from this, we went, uh, get this really quite interesting shot of um, the outside of a child welfare truck, essentially, mm. um, driving down through some sort of American style wilderness almost, isn't it? Yeah. And um, straight away, and again, I'm going to do a lot of this, comparing back to the computer war tennis shoes, where every shot was just lots of straight on face shots like I was some kind of 80s sitcom. Yeah. To be straight in there with the camera where the camera is clearly attached to the side of the vehicle. Mm. Straight away we're into some more interesting footage and I was just like, thank the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> From these shots, we kind of established that these two kids in the back of the car, which we later find out are called Tony and Tia, uh, are on their way to Pine Woods. Mm. Um, which I, to begin with, I wasn't sure if it was a school or an orphanage. I've got the exact same note here. Yeah, yeah, it's very funny that I, I thought for a brief moment it was a boarding school because, in fact, for the first couple of scenes, yeah, yeah, because the um, the actual building doesn't specify that it's an orphanage. Um, obviously, we've got the kids in a child welfare truck on the way, mm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're being sent to an orphanage. But yeah, I, I was a bit unsure about this. Yeah. Um, Especially because the scene afterwards of doing a like filling in an application form, or, or it makes it look like it's a bit of a test, you know, yeah. in like a classroom type setting or library type setting, I should say. Yeah. So as they pull up onto the front gates and they're um, brought up to the entrance to Pine Woods, um, we are introduced to Mrs. Grindley, who I recognise straight away because she's the cook from Mary Poppins. Oh, that's where I know her from. Yeah. Was it doing your head in as well? It was, yes. <laughs> but yeah, um, playing a very different character, a lot more straight, this character, than mm. uh, the sort of mad dash, yeah. crazy <laughs> zany cook from <laughs> Mary Poppins. And we're also introduced because if, when we're filling in a form, we get our a literal red-headed stepchild. Well, not stepchild, but you know, that sort of... Ron Howard lookalike, he's got a bit of an attitude... Oh, right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Called Truck. Oh, is that his name? I just kept writing Ron Howard. <laughs> it's Now, this is the thing that I get with American films all the time, which is when they have a funky sort of weird name, for instance, Truck, but because of the American pronunciation, I always assume it's a more 
normal name. Oh. So for a long time, I thought he was called Chuck. Yeah. Until I, uh, which is, you know, what people actually call children. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I IMDB'd it, I was like, oh, this kid's called Truck. <laughs> <laughs> Why, imagine naming yourself after your vehicle. I'm sure it's a nickname, but yeah. So this. Yeah. This, My name is Ford Fiesta. I always love it in a old school movie from like the 60s and 70s when you get like a kid with freckles who's a bit scrawny and ginger and then they're supposed to be the main bully of the scene. <laughs> I about to say that lad needs a couple more pies in him before we can even consider that. Like, and he, you know, he, he completely fulfills the stereotype of the kid that would get his ass kicked yeah. normally. But apparently he's the bully. Mm. Um, yeah, so like a, in like a sitcom or something, he'll be the kid that gets picked on and it's... It is a bit miscast. I mean, he is unlikable, so he does his job very well. But, yeah. And then, I, I think, again, it's like with the computer world tell issues. They've just found a truckload of kids on the side, or like the side of their own and went, hey, kids, do you want to be in a film? This way. Yeah, but unlike um, the computer world tennis shoes, at least all of these kids are actually decent actors, which is something else that, like, we had all of these much older sort of, college age kids for mm. computer war tennis shoes yeah. who couldn't act out the way out of a paper bag most mm. of them but then straight away Tony and Tia especially really good solid actors slightly controversial opinion here alright oh, okay yeah. here we go one of Big Willie's spicy takes that's him about to steal that clip from the other podcast <laughs> spicy <laughs> Willie <laughs> um, she gets better in her film but I think Tia's very ropey in a lot of places which I think is why in a lot of areas scenes to just have a speak with her mind because they need to overdub in post. True, yeah, I suppose she is the weaker link, but um, Tony is very strong. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, Tony's excellent join the film, yeah. And I think as well, like, um, Truck, this uh, this bully, along the same lines, I think that he was probably cast not because of what he looks like, but he is a, he is a good actor. Yeah, 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 isn't that story? Twat, I wanted to punch you in the face. <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, as they're still on the entrance uh, way to this uh, boarding school that we later find out is definitely a boarding school, um, Mrs. Grindley, a.k.a. Cook from Mary Poppins, says to Tia, oh, what a lovely case you have. And there's a really long sort of a shot that overstays its welcome. Yeah. They do a big close up on this uh, case that she's wearing around her neck, this silver case with a star. I wonder if this is relevant. And I've just put in my notes, clearly foreshadowing for later. Yeah. Like, at this point, it almost seems to be more important than the children. <laughs> <laughs> like, we've had, a, we've had a more of an introduction to the case than we have to the rest of the plot. It'd be a seriously different film if she was carrying a Bee Gees lunchbox on her. <laughs> yeah, so then straight from this, we get the only the note I've written, and I wish I'd expanded more because I've already forgotten. It just I've just put that they have a fight over a pen with the ginger kid. Yes, so this is going back to the library scene. So after they do the test, oh, the ginger kid claims that his pen's run out. And then he takes the other one and it's implied that he's going to keep it. So he starts squabbling over it. And this is when uh, Mrs. Grinley comes in. Well, and they basically they stop fighting before she appears. And then just as Ron Howard... Is, is asked to leave. They take just casually take a pen back from him. Oh, that's right. As so though it's nothing. So they're sort of straight away establishing that Tony and Tia they can they can take take care of themselves. Yeah, they can yeah. And then here we get a massive dump about how this is. Uh, they're here 
because not only are their parents dead, but their foster parents are also dead. Yeah. Everyone is dead. Yeah, and uh, you'd think at this point, parents died, foster parents died, we've got these two kids that can handle themselves, something's not right there. <laughs> and then, spoiler for the rest of the film, it's never mentioned why or how these yeah. foster parents died. <laughs> I the, just... the kids did it. <laughs> they probably did, yeah. but it's never mentioned again in the rest of it. It's just a way to get them into foster care, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it's it feels like a massive plot hole, which I hadn't thought about until right now, as we're going back. Yeah, because it's like, why? Because they need to get to that place in order to go on their adventure, but why couldn't it just be their parents have gone missing? Yeah. Then uh, why do we not need this intermediary thing as well, with more parents dying? It's a bit grim, in all fairness. It's a bit much, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, speaking of a bit much, we get the first of um, Tears flashbacks, where oh, basically my. we see a little fuzzy clip of her and Tony basically drowning. Yeah, with like an under unidentified third man, and then there's like a, a few other bodies there as well. And they're sort of clutching to the side of a capsized boat. Yeah. And it's all a bit full on for what's immediately come before it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think it's fine here, but I think it must be stressed now. Uh, we will be mentioning this 20 times. Uh, I should have done an actual count how many times someone's, uh, someone says thinking and Tia starts thinking and then weird music comes up and she starts thinking about, yeah. oh no, I said the word now. Every time someone, any time in the script that someone says the word thinking, yeah. it causes her to have a flashback. But we better not do the same on this podcast. <laughs> Every time someone says thinking, then, then you are editing. You have to think about putting the thinking noise in. Yeah, I'll have to try and record it and add it to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got the footage that you can have for that. I think. Yes, mate. We'll go for that. Thank you. <laughs> But yeah, so we have our first flashback of drowning, and um, and then we go to a baseball game. Yeah, why not? Straight Fuck from it. there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so um, straight away, we're in the baseball game, there's loads of kids everywhere, and again, this was another thing that, again, because it's only episode two, I'm just going to keep calling back to the last episode, I'm very sorry, but compared to the Computer War Tennis Shoes, where all of the shots were really sort of clearly studio-based and everything was a bit bland and just boxy. Um, We've had some brilliant sort of exteriors so far. Mm. It's all very sort of American Northwest, very sort of rural, wildernessy, all out in the sticks kind of thing. It's establishing the geography where they are quite well. Yeah. I know, again, most was later on, they end up 20 miles away, but they sort of establish that in the environment they live in. There's all sorts of places to hide, and if, if you know what I mean, it's not the college campus in the computer water issues where it could be in anywhere. You know, yeah, you get the impression this is like I know somewhere like Seattle on the outskirts of Seattle, based or something. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It, it could be instead of being anywhere in America, at least you can tell kind of a sort of pinpoint area. where they're going for yeah definitely yeah and we've had loads of exterior shots which we didn't have in the in uh, computer water tennis shoes so yeah. it's really really visually quite interesting mm. um yeah so there's a baseball game going on with the kids uh, tia basically uses the force to lift tony <laughs> off the ground to catch <laughs> the ball and when i say off the ground i am talking like 
30 feet in the air to catch this ball in front of a massive crowd of kids. Yeah, it's not the smartest move. I mean, I don't know what it'd prove by having him catch it because they're trying not to blow their cover here. Yeah. But already... right away, like literally the same afternoon, they fucking blow their cover, don't they? Yeah, and there's we haven't had any stakes built up for this baseball game beforehand. It's not like they're doing it to not get killed. Or... Whoever wins gets $100,000 or anything like that, yeah. Yeah, so... It, at this point, it is literally just a baseball game. There's no reason why she needed to do that. Yeah. Um, and it's very obvious that it's Tia that's done it because there's, you know, lots of eye contact and staring yeah. and then suddenly... And a massive kid... vein bulging on her head. <laughs> maybe, maybe not that far, but... Yeah. Uh, I also wrote, uh, Tia Matilda's this shit, is the note that I made. Yeah, <laughs> good point, good point. And then um, Ron Howard gets really upset that... Um, that they've cheated, which, yeah. to be fair, they have. Oh, yeah, I'll well, say. He but, has every right to go behind those bushes and check if there's a trampoline there or something, because bloody hell. Yeah. No one can jump that high as he, as he states, so all fair, all fair play to him. And so, basically, then, during this altercation, uh, Tia hits Ron Howard in the face with a baseball bit. Yeah. Just literally f- throws it at him. Yeah. In a, and and, and this, that smothers him with him as well. Yeah, and he's just a bit... It's a bit face-huugger, isn't it? It is. It's very reminiscent of Alien. And then he goes to hit Tony, but um, she floats a bat in front of his hand. Yeah. So basically he breaks his knuckles on this floating baseball bat. Yeah. Um, and then also in this scene, Tia is shown to be able to communicate telepathically with Tony. Mm. So I feel like they blow a lot of special effects shots and they they do a lot in a very short space of time yeah it's an interesting choice that we make because i feel like they could have built it up a lot more so we, we've learned that they that tia can use telekinesis and telepathy in, yeah. in a single scene right at the beginning of the film yeah. and yeah i feel like they could have spread those two out a little bit yeah because so, like it's all oh, right so they've got magic powers there's no sort of questioning whether or not they have magic powers the Mm. very first time that you see these suspicious events it's signposted that that's what they've got i think like i said in the last episode sometimes i like it where they play the hand right away instead of dragging out the inevitable but i think here if you genuinely don't know about this film i don't think you would have come to a conclusion in those first two scenes that there was like psychic powers involved so i think they should have built up to that a lot slower than what we do. They could even have, you know, had the same things happen, but just um, make them less obvious what was causing them. Don't don't acknowledge it, yeah. Yeah, because it's some very clear shots of, like, just, um, Tia definitely is the one, the yeah. agent involved in this. Yeah, I'll say, just have... If you're going to have a baseball scene, I know this is like rewriting the script, I probably really shouldn't do this, but <laughs> if, you, if you haven't ever seen, just have the single baseball and Tony jumps really high and then like when you watch it you go well what the fuck was that yeah and then you can go back to it later on don't have oh yeah by the way there's a floating baseball bat and now all the kids know about them and but they don't really do anything about it afterwards that's the other thing as well isn't it like there's so many witnesses to this event and nobody tells Mrs Grindley no I I thought right away there'd be outcasts and that was it but no they seem perfectly fine you know. this, this is also a good point to um, point out that Mrs. Grindley, despite there being about 4,000 children in this uh, orphanage, appears to be the only member of staff. Mm. 
We don't meet any other member of staff during this film, apart from Mrs. Grindley. Well, it's those budget cuts, isn't it? Well, that's it. Uh, right, one teacher for every 4,000 students in a classroom. It's very 70s. Yeah. As well, like letting them play baseball out on their own. <laughs> yeah. With like, not even in a fenced area, just mm. out in the middle of the wilderness. <laughs> so we, we get a scene afterwards of Tony and Tia in their beds. Yeah. And Tia's talking with her mind and Tony's speaking out loud. Which is my first thought as soon as I saw this again was like you're one foot away from each other yeah there's no, and half of the conversation is having to be said out loud because it's this clearly establishes that Tony can't speak telepathically yeah so this is why this is my theory that his bit was overdubbed right okay i get you yeah i i get a feeling they got the shot of her reacting and then they realised that what what she said wasn't clear or good enough, right. so went back to it. That could be it, actually. Yeah, I, I don't know. If this is just pure speculation. It could just be her showing up her powers needlessly. It could be. Yeah, they might have decided maybe just before filming to cut mm. out of the film because she, yeah, she she gives a she gives a good stare. Yeah, that's very or, clear. Or the other theory, it could be the other way. It could be. The idea was Tony was not to talk either, but then we realised watching the film it's boring. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> one still shot, another still shot. You know, it's literally like a two-three minute scene. So I think they needed some sort of motion in there. Yeah, apart from the kids flail their limbs along over bed for no reason that they needed to do something. I guess it was just a bit odd that only one of them was talking. Yeah, but the one thing that really stuck out as I was watching this section was the fact that. There's nothing stopping the two of them just talking normally. Yeah, I know. So you're probably right that there was a, a practical reason for having to yeah. do that. They also hear dogs 20 miles away, just to point out as well. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Because T is like, can you hear dogs? And he's like, yeah, but they're 20 miles away, which is which is apparently far away for even them to be able to hear. Is something that Tony mentions. Surely they'll be able to hear all dogs. That's an awful lot of yeah, dogs in yeah, a 20 mile radius. 20 mile radius for them yeah. to be able to pinpoint those ones. But yeah, and then Tony reckons that um, the reason that they can hear them so far away is because that they will meet them someday. And uh, considering the fact that the opening credits had animated dogs chasing them, yeah. um, they've already kind of blown that load. Like, see, we know that's coming. See, if surely if they were truly psychic, they would have seen those opening titles and realised they'd be running away from those dogs, so Ab- we should avoid them. Absolutely. They're not real psychics. They're basically a pair of mystic megs. So, yeah, then straight from this scene, um, Ron Howard steals uh, Tia's case. The with- Starbucks. <laughs> and uh, a black cat jumps at him to make him drop it. See, now, this is a bit better in terms of covering their tracks. It's somewhat believable that a random animal would appear and uh, interfere and get the box off him instead of staring at a baseball bat and having it float and all that shit. <laughs> you know, this is on about early about building up what they actually are. Yeah. It's obviously like a black, rat, a black cat's been synonymous with witches as well. Yeah, yeah, so it's quite an eerie occurrence as well, isn't it? Mm. And then... Again, something that confused me a little bit was um, that basically Tia and Tony they they call the cat Winky because the <laughs> ca- because the cat does a wink at one of them in like a really um, does it? It basically does it in like a a weird boomerang video <laughs> where it's the shot of um, that's been reversed and replayed about four times of this cat winking. God, I'd, I'd hate to have been the second uh, AD director of that day. 
Try to get a sh- shot of a cat winking. Yeah, it must have taken a long time. Yeah. Waste a lot of film. But the thing that confused me here was I couldn't tell if they were introducing themselves to the cat and being like, this is my new friend called Winky, or if this cat was like a cat that they knew that had just followed them down <sighs> from their last house. I don't know. I did think about this. I, I, I've got no idea. Um, I, I think we're trying to establish it that it was with them all along, and it's joined them back up with them again. But all it all it would have needed was like one single sequence before this that had the cat in it, yeah. and I would have got that. But or it, it's my new friend Winky. Yeah, just so, literally one word it needed. Yeah, um, and then it's not established at this point, but we learn later that basically Tia, one of her other abilities is that she can communicate with animals and make them do her bidding or or become their mates basically but at this point it just feels like the cat helped out because it wanted to yes it didn't it didn't feel like tia had asked it to help out yeah so like jumping ahead slightly so do you think winky actually has his own self-control or is it doing the bidding of tia we'll get into that later i think okay but at the minute i feel like they do have a bit of self-control these animals yeah but I'm not sure if they knew Winky beforehand or if he's a if he's a brand new friend of theirs. Yeah. What uh, kind of name is Winky? I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Yeah. And then anyway, from there, the kids go and see Snow White at the theatre. A little bit of cross promotion there. Yes, um bit of synergy. Product mm. synergy. Um and I actually uh, double checked, um and this film, Escape to Witch Mountain, came out in nineteen seventy five. Um, which was the same year that Snow White was actually released, re-released in the cinemas. Okay, I thought it'd be something like that, yeah. Do you know much about the Disney Vault, Chris? As a non-Disney Is this fan? the thing where, like how, for example, on DVD now, like a certain film would be available and suddenly it'll go out of, out of, out of stock and then you wouldn't see it again for like five, six years? Yeah, so before home video, before VHS and things... Um, it had a very similar thing with the Disney Vault, where basically uh, every sort of ten years after a film was originally released, they would re-release it at the theatre. Hmm. Because obviously, and it and it makes brilliant sense from a marketing standpoint for a, a company that makes films for kids. Because obviously, ten years later, you're looking at a brand new batch of children, basically. Yeah. So that's hmm. what they did was um, every sort of about ten years or so. All of the classic films were re-released at the theatres, which obviously was then able to bring in more money to then fund the new films. Mm. So, and obviously 1975, I think we're just on the cusp of home video? Um, Yeah, virtually. And I only I'm only thinking this because there is that episode of that 70s show where they uh, first get Betamax. That's the only thing that makes me realise that it was definitely... Available at some point in the seventies. Right, yeah. I, 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 no, I was just thinking of the episode of the Young Ones where they went out of video nasty, so it reminded me you'd be no, at least out in the early eighties. So yeah, I was going to say, yeah, enough, Young yeah. Ones is eighties, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. So this is before you could watch a Disney movie at home, yeah. basically. The other thing about Disney vaults, just a random reminder, is how the Disney Channel once they advertised Lady and Trump. This was in nineteen ninety eight. Like, watch it at this certain time on Sunday because it's the last time we're going to show it for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and I never did check back whether or not in 2008 they started showing it again. 
I really want to find out now. We'll have to Google that later. I'll have to see if that actually happened. But yeah, that's that's basically that's that's the uh, the Disney Vault works at basically dangling a carrot and then pulling it away. It's a good model. It is because it absolutely works, especially like during the nineties, as we've said before, like when we were buying VHSs as kids or being bought VHSs, they would sell hundreds of thousands in a month. Yeah, because they just would they would say they would never be released again. And in most cases, they weren't re-released until DVD. Hmm. And now they're um, just starting to release a lot of the films on Blu-ray. Have you followed any of this at all? No. The controversy about this? No. So obviously, a lot of the Disney films, especially the older films from sort of up until the 50s and 60s, by now, the quality of the film grade is very degraded. Hmm. But on Blu-ray, you're always trying to get the absolute best quality picture, especially, that you possibly can. And with a lot of these animated films that they're looking at back again, the film has got really crackly and a lot of grain graininess added to it. Yeah. And in the attempt to remove the graininess to make Blu-rays, um, Disney have actually um, erased a lot of the actual features from the film. Right. For instance, there are videos online that I've seen of whole sections from Peter Pan where like background images are just completely missing or characters will be animated like flying through the sky but they don't have faces because they've scrubbed the faces off the characters how weird because they well, why wouldn't didn't we try and digitally insert the faces back in i know like it, basically it's it's a hack job they've, right. they've done it as cheaply as possible but the main thing that they've tried to focus on is clearing up the grainy aspect of the film but that's kind of half the charm yeah it is and i me and kirsty have had this view because we've only recently properly started collecting disney dvds and we've said outright that we don't want to get the blu-ray for this particular reason yeah but then the other the other issue is as well with a lot of the blu-rays is that they've actually recut the films Mm. so we bought we bought um Pete's Dragon, which is one of my favourite Disney films. Yeah. Have, have you seen that one at all? Oh, yes. Yeah, of course I have. Yeah. yeah. So the bad guys, the the Gogans, the evil family that have kidnapped Pete. Yeah. Who have bought Pete, essentially. The film starts with them singing a song about how all the different ways that they're going to kill Pete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for the Blu-ray edition, they've cut this whole song out <laughs> of the film. <laughs> and I can tell why. Like, the obvious reason being that they want to sort of make it less scary for kids. Yeah, no, and, basically not, not describing murder. That's the yeah. opening, opening song, yeah. And I absolutely understand the reasoning behind that. But at the same time, without this establishing song telling you that these people want to murder him, they there is nothing left in the film to imply that they are actually villains. <laughs> I have to watch, actually, because it's quite an interesting... Well, not even in like, the way they act or anything like that. I mean, the, the the other thing with the Gogans is that they are bumbling idiots. Yeah. They're stupid. They're played to be hillbillies, which, you, you know, it's, it's quite offensive. It could be considered quite offensive in this day and age. Mm. But at the same time, the whole time that they're singing about murdering Pete, it's very obvious from the way they're acting that they would not be capable of doing that. Right, yeah. So that because they're such bumbling fools and by the end of the song they've all fallen in mud and are covered head to toe in mud. So although the song is saying horrific things, it's to a really bouncy banjo yeah. and clearly they're not capable of doing that. So once you take that scene out, 
all you're left with is this these bumbling idiots that are just following Pete around. Right. So it doesn't. You need that song. <laughs> And it, and it drives me mad because it is such a structural thing to the film. I'm just trying to remember about the song now. What do we describe? Like, yeah, we're going to take Pete, we're going to like chop him all his limbs off, store him in a freezer. Yeah, we're going to cook him, we're going to hang him up from a tree. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's all. We're going to choke him to death with his own intestines, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to shiv him. <laughs> yes. We're going to get Bruce Forsyth in. We've all got brass knuckles and we're going to go to town. Yeah. Yeah. But, um,. Yeah, it just... punches nuts to dust, you know, that sort of... And then the other thing was the... And it's not as big a issue, but the, there's a song later in the film called Candle on the Water. Um, it's kind of a romantic song. Mm. Um, it's quite... As a kid, I used to fast-forward over it. Yeah. Because it is very boring for a kid, but it's, it's kind of in there for the adults because it's quite romantic and uh, she just sort of wistfully stares out into the sea from the lighthouse for the whole song. But they cut that scene out of the film as well, and instead of the overture, which plays during the opening credits, they now play Candle on the Water over the opening credits. Hmm. And I feel like that's almost a better way of structuring the film, because that scene is quite boring, and it doesn't really change the plot very much, so it's better over the credits. But at the same time, I think that the opening overture is a really good track. Right. So it's a bit of an annoy- annoyance for that, but it's it's nowhere near as bad as cutting out the first song. <laughs> I think it's just well, it's the old Star Wars problem, isn't it? You just you don't want to edit in any way the theatrical version of a film. That's why I don't really agree that much with like director's cuts and all that lot. I think yeah. the version that is shown to the public in the first instance should be the definitive version. That's it. Hands yeah. off. Don't do anything with it. But you know. It's it's interesting with films like Pete's Dragon because I feel like the the majority of sales for a DVD like that is surely going to be for people that are Disney fans, yeah, rather than buying them for their kids. No one's going, mummy, 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 I really want Pete's Dragon. Yes, this film from the seventies that I've never heard of. Yeah, yeah, that has no Buzz Lightyear in it. Yeah, the kids like Buzz Lightyear. I was going to say, Chris, that's like that's a really dated reference. <laughs> Fuck, I'm old. Moana, that's a thing. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Is Frozen still the in thing? Well, yeah. Oh, the, oh, yeah. There's a, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. The new trailer for Frozen Two came out today. I've not seen it yet. I've I've heard it's out though. It's um, basically uh, Game of Thrones book Frozen. Okay. I'm not even kidding. It's weird. Fine. Uh, fair enough. I'll leave it there, and you, you'll have to. Uh, so instead of let it go, this thing, let it Jon Snow. Get out. If this was the other podcast, I get a hoe for that. Oh, <laughs> I think we should better get back to the film at some point. Yeah, we've got a bit sidetracked. Yeah, where are we ten minutes in? <laughs> How long are we recording going from for now? We've been going for 41 minutes, according to this. Oh dear. That can't be right. No, that sounds about right. Alright. Anyway, so yeah. Escape uh, to which mountain? Escape to which mountain? Shall we, shall we go back to the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time, I was a witch. <laughs> yeah, so the kids come out from seeing Snow White and um, Tia basically predicts that something bad's going to happen to this guy, well, no, to this car across the street that yep. she sees. And um, they they run away from um, Mrs. Grindley to the, so they can warn this man. And uh, the man decides to walk instead of taking his car, which is, it's um, quite a posh car with a with a 
chauffeur, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, it's a limousine. Yeah. yeah. So this guy um, decides, tells his driver to go without him and he'll take a walk. Hmm. And the rear of the car gets um, smashed in by a tow truck. Yep. Which is quite, quite full on. It is a bit, yeah. And uh, yeah, so the guy um, is unharmed. Um, we later find out this guy is called Mr. Duranian. Mm. And, and again, calling back to um, the computer wore tennis shoes, did you recognise this guy when you were watching? Who, Donald Pleasance? Yeah. Yeah, from, from Halloween. Oh, is he in, oh, yes, he's in Halloween he's as well. He's in Halloween, yeah. I was thinking, though, he's Blofeld in uh, James Bond. He is one of the Blofelds. Blofeld yeah. literally changes every single time, but yes. <laughs> so basically, again, we've got these bankable villains who are the only people in the cast that you actually know who yeah. or have heard of. The only one who's been paid any money for this. Oh, I think I've just spoiled the fact that this guy's a villain, haven't I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh dear. Spoiler. Never mind. So from here... Well, in all fairness, for next scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got Mr. Bolt and his gang of henchmen all talk about moons and vibrations and all this bollocks yeah. and as Mr. Bolt uh, rightly says it's not adding any wealth to his evil empire yes yeah, so very similar again to blooming in the computer war tennis shoes mm. we have a, a bad guy whose motivations are I want to predict things to get more money yeah which is exactly what um, Mr. Arno was doing yeah, in no. uh, the computer world tennis shoes. Very weird motivation. At least, you know, do it to want to take over a world or something. Yeah, so this Mr. Bolt, he seems to be living in quite a nice, fancy place because he's in sort of like an an old-fashioned style room. Yeah. Lots of brickwork and moulded arches. We don't get the establishing shot of a castle on top of a hill with like lightning strikes behind it, but we might as well, might, yeah. might as well have it. As he's telling these mystics that he's unimpressed with them, um, the man from the accident, uh, who we find out is called Mr. Duranian, he comes in excited that basically he's he's found psychic children, and obviously he's witnessed it firsthand, so he knows that these kids are legit. Yeah, and uh, their task is to like find their names and eventually forge documents to make it look like that they're v- related. Yeah, yeah, so so we can adopt them. So, yeah, Blofeld goes to their school. Well, you see, here we go. I've written school, but actually it's an orphanage. It's an orphanage. But at this point, it hadn't been established that that's definitely what it is. Yeah, it's a school for kids whose parents are a bit dead. (laughs) Who are double dead. Yes. When you've got double dead parents, you go to this school. Uh, Yeah, so he goes to the school to thank the kids. And the two kids, Tia and Tony, they're visibly sceptical of this guy. Mm. Um, But Truck is collared by him because they basically walk away and leave him sort of in a very... 1970s sort of infomercial don't talk to strangers kind of thing. Yeah. It's basically uh, my mummy said don't talk to strangers so I'm leaving. And then Truck gets collared by him and he says who's that? And Truck tells him straight away. Yeah. A little shit. So yeah, this is uh, with the name I know there's like another bit coming up where they look at the Starbucks, don't they? And see what's inside. Yeah, so... And this is where we establish... There's a lot of information that goes on in this next scene. Because, yeah. again, it's back in Tia and Tony's bedroom. And it opens with Tia... Well, what I thought was Tia... This, this again, was not very clear. I thought it was Tia drawing on a mirror with a crayon. No. Um, with her telekinetic powers. Mm. But what it actually... And whilst, at the same time... Tony is in the corner, or he's on his bed, and he's playing the harmonica. But what 
is actually happening is Tony playing the harmonica is causing him to draw on the mirror. Yeah, so this is his superpower. It's yes. a harmonica. <laughs> he doesn't even have the superpower himself. Yeah, he, he, he can only harness his superpowers through a harmonica. Um, and bit crap, isn't it? You know, his sister gets to like do everything without the aid of anything, and yeah. there he is with his silly little instrument. And at this point, it's the only superpower we know of him having. Yeah. Then after this, Tia's case opens to reveal a hidden map. Mm. And there's, there's reference to the fact that um, this has never happened before, when clearly it's just a little compartment in the case that just swings open. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's really like... It's a bit of a naff box as well, so the fact, you know, they're psychic and we haven't actually figured this out is very strange. Yeah. But basically, inside this uh, case, there's a little map, um, and the places marked on it are called Misty Valley and Stony Creek. Which are, are probably levels on Diddy Kong Racing. They're very generic sounding, yeah. aren't they? I, I'd been, I wouldn't have been surprised if there was Icicle Mountain on there. Yeah. Freeze Easy Peak. That was from Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, what's happening? I don't know. <laughs> if you've not paid Banjo Kazooie, you're going to think we're having a stroke. <laughs> or maybe we are having a stroke. Yes, save us. <laughs> but yeah, so then after. And this is a really poorly structured scene, I think, because we start with them drawing on the mirror, then we go to the case which shows the map, yep. then we go back to talking about the drawing on the mirror, which was. Um, Basically, Tia asks why Tony's drawing a castle, and it turns out that Tony thinks that this is a place that they're going to visit. Yes. So, at this point, you, you can almost put two and two together. We've got these dogs that are 20 miles away. Yeah. We've got... Which you hear barking in this scene, by the way. Oh, yes, we do hear we the do, barking yeah. again. So, yeah. And uh, and then, yeah, we get another flashback. More thinking. Yeah, because someone said the word thinking again. Yeah, she thinks about thinking, and she started thinking. <laughs> And this, at this point, like a bit more of the flashback is revealed, or not, almost. Like I don't feel like visually you see much more. I mean, in all these twenty uh, flashback scenes, do we actually get any new information established in any of them, or is it just the same old image with Tia sort of going, "Oh, I remember something" once in a while, but it's not actually it. established in the shots. It's it's just almost reminding us that there is this flashback that's been had because we don't see as an audience we don't see much more of the shot. No. And at this point I hadn't written any notes down, so I don't think that we learn that much we from don't. that one. But it's just remind it's just keeping it on the back burner that this there's this mysterious thing that happened to them where they nearly drowned from in a boat when they were younger. Yeah. It's not until this second part about the castle where we actually established that it's Tony that's drawn the picture mm. and it wasn't until they mentioned it and, and Tony basically gets a bit upset and goes oh I wish that I could be telekinetic without my harmonica but I can't <laughs> a bit a bit expositiony yeah there's a lot to take in in this very short scene there is yeah for the next day uh our, our mate Donald Pleasance is forged for documents so he becomes their uncle or adopts them pretending to be their uncle yeah Tyr and Tony of course know it's absolute bollocks but they haven't really got a choice so no. so off they go uh, to this castle that was foredrawn uh, 20 miles away. Uh, a couple of very nice establishing shots just of like the area in general, you know, like the edge of a cliff that they're driving past. Yep. 
that's quite nicely done. And again, like the, the when we get to this uh, castle, it's not a a created set. It is an actual exterior of a really nice looking, quite it, quite fancy little palace. He's got it there. is, yeah, called Xanthius. Yes, Xanthus. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I've actually say what it means, but it just don't mean out. <laughs> no, it's and it's not important to this plot at all. It's not it's no. Just... But what is slightly important for one little bit later on is the cubby sneezing guy on the doors or on the oh, gates. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, because so the security guard is allergic to uh, Winky. Yeah, I nearly said Wanky then. <laughs> that is logic to cats. No, that just is logic to Winky. But you could take it the wrong way. Oh, and we also see the dogs in cages as we're going past. as Yeah. Well. So we finally established that, yeah, these, these dogs are a real thing. We might as well have a neon sign next to them saying, avoid these later. Yeah. <laughs> and then when they arrive, um, again, going back to the don't take candy from strangers, um, the bad guy, Mr. Bolt, comes out with two massive ice creams and just hands them to the kids, yeah. who, who then forgive everybody of all of their sins they for do. being kidnapped and everything like Ice cream's the way to these kids' hearts, clearly. For, for a brief moment, I thought these ice creams were drugged. Yeah, but it's, it's not I, brought up. I, I, I wasn't sure if we're going to have a plot where we just keep eating ice cream and then getting all doped out. But no, it's Disney, so probably not. And then they get shown to their new room, um, which is basically a 70s fever dream. It is, It's yeah. amazing. It has its own ice cream parlour in one corner. Is the ice cream very drugged? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> there's Drugs a, everywhere. There's um, there's a TV in the wall, but Drugged. it's but <laughs> I love this TV mounted in the wall because it's literally like a a seventies massive wooden box TV that's literally just in the wall. <laughs> like, yeah, you can see it's not just the monitor; it's the whole thing, the wood effect, and all the buttons. Just and shoved it in there. You can almost see the little hole where the antenna's supposed to poke out. Like. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, even the cat Winky has its own little corner. Four drugs. <laughs> full of full of catnip, <laughs> catnip up to the eyeballs. It's yeah. a nice room. It's it's banging. Yeah, that's the size of it is huge. It's like a mansion in itself, isn't it? Yeah, and clear, clearly a studio set. But yeah, we'll, we'll let the film off at this point. Do you think they replicated this set at Disneyland at any point? Oh, probably. Yeah. Because it's something that they could easily do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking. Probably, it probably isn't there now. It's probably been made away for another Pirates of the Caribbean exhibition. But I'll tell you what, I'm I'm genuinely interested to see if this film series ever had any kind of um, presence in the parks. It's something that I'm definitely going to look up after this podcast. Sure. I'll get back to you for the next yeah. episode. Okay. Because that's the kind of dorky thing I like Tune into episode at. three. Wait. Exclusively on We Made This. So... Tony then, um, whilst they're looking around the room, he asks where the neighbours are and is shown that basically they live by the sea and there are no neighbours. Oh, that sounds so nice. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. As a kid, you'd be, they'd be there thinking, oh no, but that sounds <sighs> pretty bloody perfect. That, yeah, yeah I, 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 who the hell wants neighbours? I mean, I can't complain. We're pretty isolated in this house. <laughs> Can I live in your shed? <laughs> Which one, Chris? We've got five. <laughs> The, well, not good enough for a nice one. I'll have the moderately okay one. You can have the one without a door. Yay! <laughs> That's to pay less for heating, man. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah, so from this scene, we go straight to them being taught how to ride a horse. Yeah, I mean, my notes here is just some bollocks with horses, although it does establish a good, well, not, not a good point here. It just establishes a main feature of the film. 
going forward, which we teased earlier on, which is Tia can talk to animals. <laughs> we didn't tease it, Chris. We outright said it. <laughs> She's Doctor Doolittle's daughter, I guess. She's Doctor Doolittle's little Doctor does something. Doctor Extra Little. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And this is the point where we actually hear Tia talking to the animals, yeah. don't we? So, which we've not had with Winky. Yes, sir. But um, it's as as you were alluding to earlier. It does feel like the animals do have their own will. Mm. Like it's they're having a conversation. Basically, she's not instructing them. There's a theme I've just thought of here with the animals, and we all have animals of attitude that can't <laughs> be tamed, but they can. Yeah. So what what's this horse's name again? It's Thunderheart, is it? Oh God, did it have a name? It did, yeah. It, it was something along that along those lines. Yeah, I didn't write it down. Thunderhead, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. yeah. Tia, um, again using the force, jumps on this apparently untamable horse, yeah. bareback without any prior training, and drives it round, which is kind of cool. Um, one thing I thought about the powers in this film. I kept referring back to, like, Matilda. Yeah. Because obviously there are a lot of similarities with the sort of powers that are being used. Matilda, great film. But one of the things with Matilda is there's only about three incidents where she actually uses her powers. Yeah, there is, yeah. There's, like, three main scenes where they're they're really special effects heavy, Mm. and then the rest of the film they're not utilised. Um. But what I did like about this film is, although there aren't any scenes of like massive, over-the-top special effects, I liked that they're just littered through throughout the film. Yeah, yeah. So, I I, I do quite like the way the powers are implemented throughout mm. the script. I quite like. Yeah, it. you know, she's not like just like flying to go get a, a cup of coffee or anything like that, or. Yeah. Or using the psychic powers to dress herself. But at the same time, they're still frequent but necessary. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. It's not like the uh, screen of a teenage witch TV series, which is <laughs> yeah. just using the powers to change clothes all the time. Apart from that one scene where they were talking right next to each other when they could have just spoken. <laughs> like, I mean, it was late at night. Yeah. In hindsight. Well, we'll let them off then. Yeah, okay. And then uh, after this, there's a rainy day, so they can't go out to play with the horse. But instead, Tony uses harmonica powers to make all the marionettes in their playroom dance. And uh, the, the song really reminded me of the Monty Python theme. Yeah. It's very like... This was utter filler. Do you reckon? Yeah. I quite liked it. I thought this was the scene that made this a Disney film. There's a, it needed a bit of whimsy. And I feel like this is the whimsical element. Okay, I can sort of see that. So there's multiple puppets, isn't there? There's like human characters dancing. There's yes. A, there's a bee. So it's there was quite a bit of interesting stuff going on, and I I genuinely quite liked it. Nah, it was it, it was okay. It, it, it was, called my bluff at one point. It was getting late at night. I could have done without those five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I was watching in the middle of the afternoon, so maybe I was more. Uh, more susceptible to it. Mm. But um, it really called my bluff at one point because when the scene started, you couldn't see the... Um, for the marionettes, you couldn't see the handles that they were being puppeted from. They were just showing the actual marionettes dancing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I bet they'll not show 
the handles because there's someone actually puppeting them above. And then the shot panned back and you actually see the uh, the handles floating in the air yeah. as well. Yeah, oh yeah, that was a cool effect in all fairness. Yeah. So I actually was like, oh yeah. I didn't, yeah, I didn't I, expect it to be that good. Yeah, I'm not saying like the layout scene of like was crap or anything like that. It was just it was a bit fillery, but in terms of that, as a standalone thing, it was actually pretty decently done. Yeah, the effects were good. Yes, yeah, quite exactly. And he does also um, establish that um, they're being watched. Yes. Yeah. So there's, so there's uh, cameras CCTV. That, yeah. So there's like cameras everywhere, and. Mr. Bolt and Donald Pleasant, I keep forgetting his name, his actual character Blofeld. name. Blofeld. <laughs> yeah, Blofeld. Mr. Duranian. That's on. Mr. Duranian. No, it's just called Donald Pleasant. <laughs> uh, so they're watching, so they know everything that's going on. You know, yeah. there's no. And they're basically but... saying that they're going to use this footage to blackmail the kids. Yeah, essentially to do their bidding. Um, yeah, but at least, like. Com- again, compared to the Computer War 10 issues, yeah. where there was not really anything keeping Kurt Russell's character in the employ of the bad guys. No. At least there is... The bad guys have a motivation and they have a plan to keep the kids invested. And their form of kidnapping compared to Computer War 10 issues... <laughs> where they just give him a bucket of chicken. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and just have him sat there. Uh, give me all the opportunity to escape. At least here, it feels like if they try to escape, bad things will happen, mm. or will try to happen anyway. Yeah. So at least they establish that. Because I think the next scene, they're sat on the dinner table, and Mr. Bolt's been really, I was trying to be very manipulative, like yeah. said, like you know, you can have all that you ever want, but you know, like join me, like never leave me, yeah. do my bidding, damn it. And he's really not subtle about it. He's basically just like, fuck it. I know you're psychic and. He's got no, uh, the note I put is that he's got no chill at all. Yeah, like he's just out out with it straight away. He, he looks like he's going to have a heart attack at any moment. From, yeah, from sheer pleading uh, um, for the kids to like join him on his quest for pure evil. Is it's like so? Is it established what he actually wants to do with the kids, or is it just like yeah? No, again, it's it's a bit muddy. Um, he obviously wants to use their psychic powers to earn more money. Yeah. But it's never, like, at least Mr. Arno in the Computer War 10 issues kept, he, he he was doing some illicit gambling. Yeah. But it's never shown how or why he's going to utilise these kids. And we never actually see it happen in the film either. So, But then, um, yeah, so Duranian locks the kids into their room and the kids instantly escape, <laughs> like straight away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, surely you must because have realised got... that the lock wasn't going to work. Yeah, but the alarms go off straight away as well, and yeah. the dogs are released. Release for hounds. Oh, so finally we get the point, uh, the scene that's been uh, foreshadowed all the way since the opening credits. Yeah. Um, and there is a very short scene of them being chased by the dogs. But again, it's not as dramatic as the opening scene would, the opening credits would actually suggest. No, it's a weird one because the. Want to try and have some tension, but it's very the way even like the way the dogs are in towards the screen. It's quite obvious that something is going to happen. Yeah. And if you like quickly put two and two together with what happened with a horse earlier on, you just yeah. know. Yeah. So then, so then suddenly Tia remembers. Oh wait, I can talk to animals. Yeah. Why am I running? And so she tells the dogs to go after the henchmen, and they agree to that and go after them. Yeah. And then they call on Thunderhead the horse to ride off on. Um, and Winky attacks the guard in the guardhouse. <laughs> I say attacks, just lightly pushes a 
past him and uh, and of course because he's sneezes. allergic he uh, he lets them out mm, and they escape into town yeah can you just say at this point uh, one of the things I noticed about how this film's a bit more low budget is that there's a lot of day for night shots here and they're not very good at covering up the fact they shot them in the middle of the day because right. because I mean are you aware of the day for night technique uh, no I'm not uh, this is where, because obviously if you film at night, it's prohibitively expensive because in order to light the film up properly, you're going to need a shit more, shitload of more equipment just yeah. to light a scene up. Yeah. So like, that's why whenever you like, you do a low budget film, you tend to find it's mainly set in the daytime. Right. Day for night is a technique used quite often, especially in films back then, where they'd shoot in the day, but then they colour, they uh, darken the colour so much. Right. But even in the sky, it looks like it's night time. Right. Now here they... They do that a lot on television. I know that they've done that. Because, again, going back to like Blu-ray releases, I know that there was an issue with the Buffy um, re-release on DVD... Uh, on Blu-ray, sorry. Because they forgot to recolor a lot of the shots. Yeah. So there are sections in the Buffy Blu-ray where, in a single scene, one shot will be daytime, and then the ne- very next shot will be nighttime because yeah. they forgot to recolor the day shots they did I mean I think in something like Buffy it's a lot easier because it was TV it was standard definition it's just so easy just like basically put a big black line a big black gradient over the top yeah. of it to get that effect whereas you need to do a bit more work and I think in the case of this film they've put a dark blue filter over it which again the rip I watched if it was HD I don't think it translated as well into high definition as right. it probably should have done fair enough and now you know. Now now we know. Yeah. The more you know. You learn on this podcast, you know. Mm. Right, what happened next? So they escape, and the first thing they do is they dump the horse. Yeah. So, why? Yeah. I don't get it. They've, they've just like got this ally that can help them, you know, run away very quickly, and then they go, oh, there's a vet's fair. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, great, okay, you just abandoned this horse then. And- God knows where it went to. Well, it'll go. It'll go back to the mansion where it'll instantly be shot for disobeying everybody, yeah. for helping out the uh, the children, and then within a week it'll be glue. Yeah, because do you really think Mr. Bots could go? Oh, that's okay. The horse was hypnotized by those kids. Yeah, yeah I don't think he'd even know that we can talk to animals. Otherwise, he would have come up with other solutions to uh, preventing the kids escaping than dogs. Yeah, and then whatever we... happened to that horse? I don't know. Oh. Definitely glue. Defo glue. So yeah, and then from there we are introduced to a old man who's driving a Winnebago and he's yeah. stocking up on supplies yep. at, at the local store. Uh, and he gets asked by the baddies if he's seen the kids, but say and he says no. Uh, and he hopes he, they're heading in the opposite direction to him because he hates children. Oh, I just found this hilarious. So this is Mister O'Day. Is that yeah? I've got his name right. Yeah. Don't know how you actually spot just spelt it O dash day. Well, it's O apostrophe D A Y. Okay, so, so I, you were not wrong. Oh, fair enough then. Very good. Yeah. Well, and again, I feel like a lot of American films have these very odd names that you just would not know how to spell unless you look. Them yeah. Up. <laughs> so someone's writing it thinking that sounds vaguely Irish. That'll do. <laughs> yeah. It's like how uh, when I used to write. Godzilla fan fiction when I was like five years old before I even really knew what Godzilla was. I like saw in Channel 4 you, once. You mean 15, not five. Okay, fine. <laughs> and and I didn't know any Japanese names, so I just basically copied the names of like the Japanese Formula 1 drivers at the time. 
This is what we've got here. That is a weird fa- fanfic, that Formula One crossover with, <laughs> with, with, Godzilla. <laughs> with Godzilla. Yeah, I know. I'd love to see that film. I'm sure one of the characters is called Mikasalo. That's a reference about two people will get. <laughs> yeah, Formula One stuff is lost on me, Chris. Yeah. Come on, this is as bad as you talking about football and all that stuff. Oh, yes, that's right. I'm... Just be happy I've not got into the wrestling references yet. I've told you before, my dad was a PE teacher, so my uh, teenage rebellion was against exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, I gave uh, my dad a... I, I set up our podcast on his iPad on Saturday, and uh, he's not mentioned it to me yet, so I'm, guess, <laughs> I'm guessing he uh, really did not enjoy it. <laughs> My my other podcast uh, sent a link to my mum like eighteen months ago, and she just never spoke of it again. Yeah. Oh well. Oh. Well. <laughs> we tried. Yeah. Our parents love us, really. Just not I mean, our content. <laughs> I mean, they love the idea of us, but apart from that. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Yeah. So uh, Mr. O'Day is just like, yeah, I'm going in the other direction. I hate children. Away I go now in my massive motorhome that can house two kids. And funnily enough, there they are in the back of the, the Winnebago. Yeah. And at this point, my note that I wrote was, bring on comedy road trip. Oh, yes. Because the film really does take a different turn from here, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, he stumbles along with the kids and he goes this one big run like, I absolutely hate children, you know. You might as well like, say, if they cross the road, I wouldn't even break from it all that lot. Anyway, do you fancy some breakfast? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, he pulls up on a beach and uh, Winky dumps a massive bag of flour on the kids. Mm. So he gets really pissy and tells them to fuck right off. <laughs> <laughs> and then feels bad and, as you say, offers them breakfast yeah. straight away. You and you. Fuck off. Scrambled or fried. <laughs> That's basically what happens. Um, and they reach an agreement for basically he will give them a lift to Stony Creek. Um, and I don't really see what he got out of the deal. So. Well, they hide his keys, don't they? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's, this is like some like gangland mafia type shit, isn't it? So, but as, as the... we said straight at the very beginning, these kids can take care of themselves. Oh, yeah. So they hide his... Well, Winky hides the keys until they let him... You know, until he agrees to their terms and conditions. And then they psychically turn the car on, which I didn't know they could do that either. And uh, then Winky grabs the keys from the sand outside and gives them back to him. So he's been willingly kidnapped. Basically. Yeah. And then they um, they get on their way. They stop for gas. This is where we have our suspicious gas attendant who keeps wanting to peer into the window to see if there's two children who happen to be hidden inside. <laughs> yeah. And when he sort of thinks that there is, because he has a quick look through as he's been given money by uh, Mr. O'Day, he gives uh, Mr. Bolt a quick ring just to let him know their whereabouts. And then Mr. Bolt and the police, because the motorcycle cop then pulls them over. Oh, yeah. So, should establish, everyone is in on trying to capture these kids. Yes. Everyone in this film, apart from the two kids, Mr. O'Day and Winky the cat, are all corrupt <laughs> as fuck. Yeah, so the the motorcycle cop pulls them up on the side of the road, on a cliff edge, basically. Yep. And then Tony plays a song on his harmonica and the the bike flies off a cliff so then they can escape because the cop can't follow him. Hmm. Um, but again, like I say, really like the way there's little effects just scattered throughout the whole film. Yeah. 
and uh, I really liked the use of some of them to get them out of. It was a good sort of a very practical kind of. Here is an issue. They pra- very practically get themselves out of yeah. the issue with the effects that we know that they can do, and and it's a nice effect as well. It's nothing too elaborate. You can imagine, yeah. you can imagine these days if they did this film, you know, if a motorbike would suddenly explode and uh, yeah. unicorns would fly everywhere and all this CGI bollocks. Yeah. Whereas here, they just do the effects of having the bike drive over a cliff, and like you say, it's very effective. Yeah. It's quite nice, even though they're laughing about it afterwards. It does seem slightly mean-spirited to me. A little bit. Yeah. Bloody That's what I said, comedy road trip. Bloody no good little shits. <laughs> that was a $10,000 bike. Paid for by the taxpayer, though. Yeah, no. no. No individual had to fork out for it, Chris, don't worry. Like those kids pay tax. They, they don't know <laughs> the responsibility of those tax dollars. Anyway, so then... I bet they don't pay for a TV licence either. <laughs> Bloody children. But yeah, um, next scene, they're having tea in a picnic spot. At this point, I just realised that every other scene in this film is the kids eating. Yeah. Every other scene is the kids eating. They're doing it for the gains. For mis- <laughs> Yeah, o- always breakfast, always protein. Yeah. Loads of eggs. But yeah. Yeah, they must fart a lot. Oh, in a, in a Winnebago with two children, two farting kids and an old man and a cat. No wonder they always having to camp out and, you know, eat. <laughs> Any excuse to get out of the winning. Yeah. It's like Mr. O'Day like, walks up and like, oh, bloody hell. Those <laughs> two kids. Green smoke just coming out of the doors. Yeah. Just wire up the car to our asses, you know, renewable energy right there. Rather than the car. <laughs> so yeah, in this <laughs> In this scene, we get. I bet yeah. your dad would really like this episode as well. Yeah, lol farts. <laughs> yeah, so in another flashback. Um, oh, she's thinking again. She's thinking, but this time she remembers that they were they were saved from this shipwreck, um, and that's pretty much all that we extra we learn from this. But what type of ship? No, is it on fresh water or salt water? Mm. We just don't know. Anyway, so Mister O'Day. Makes an offhand comment about not being married. But... Well, no, well, just quickly, they explain the map to him so he gets yeah. to see this, what's in the Starbucks as well. Yes. Which apparently now they can just open and close at will. Yeah. yeah they do. He mentions being married, and Tia um, knows that he was married, but his wife died, which angers Mr. O'Day, who then asks them to call him Jason. Which again, every time he gets mad, he then. Instantly yeah. changes and becomes a softer character. Yeah. <laughs> Is that? I mean, it's a bit much to bring it up yeah, for, it's, for it's him. Com- it's completely without tact. To be fair, in the way that a, a nine-year-old child would do. Let's go. Ha ha! Your wife's dead. Yeah, because it's, it's the way she does it is it's almost like she's telling him as if he yeah. didn't know that he did have a wife. Yeah, and then he's like, "I never want to see you again. I hate your fucking guts." By the way, the name's Jason. <laughs> He's a bit of a flip-flopper, this guy. Yeah. He's flipper a Disney film. So, ooh. No, I don't think it is. <laughs> I hope it's not. Damn. And then, yeah, Mr. Duranian um, tracks them down in the night and sneaks up with a gun. Oh, no, sorry, not a gun. With a gun-toting henchman. He yes. Doesn't, he doesn't hold the gun himself. Yeah, it's a um, man with a gun. But Winky sees them and jumps on the gun, and then Tia floats the gun and points it at the baddies. So what you're saying is that the baddies jump the gun? Long. Oh, and the note that I put for this was that there was some funky 70s uh, synth going on here. Yeah, there was. And it was a bit 
odd. So I don't remember the synth being in there before, apart from when Tia's thinking. And from here on out, every time she uses her powers, they use this funky synth, which hadn't been established earlier in the film. Do you think the composer came across like the Moog synthesizer store, like on like day twenty of editing this film, and suddenly yeah. went, "Oh, it was far too late to actually put it in for the rest of the film." Yeah, <laughs> far too costly for it. Well, sod it. Yeah, this is a clear point in the film. There's been a gun involved. I can now break out the synthesizer. That's it. And then they hatch a plan for the kids to jump out of the Winnebago whilst they're in being pursued by these bad guys. Oh, um, this so plan. That, so that then Jason can continue driving to Longview whilst the bad guys will still follow him, is yeah. the plan. Can I just jump in here right yeah. now? This is a crap plan. Because uh, T- Tony, and Tia, Tony and Tia jump out of the car van, whatever, um, to go to Jason's brother's house. Yeah. Do we ever actually meet Jason's brother? No. Does Jason's brother actually exist, or is this a figment of Jason's imagination? Probably. Did Jason's brother die in the same car crash as his wife? <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, it, the other the other problem with this, the other flaw in this plan, is that it would be fine if it was just the baddies that were looking for them, but the whole of this county seems to be chasing after them. So as soon as they're on their own, they're going to be followed. It's established in a quick scene with the sheriff of town that Mr. Bowl is now offering... It's a grand at this point for the capture, and the cop's not very quiet about it, so like the entire town is on it with all their guns and... Lynch mob mentality. So, surprise, surprise, the instant that they leave the Winnebago and Jason drives off, they're instantly captured by the local sheriff and put in jail. Yeah, which is fair enough, really. Idiots. Um, And then, whilst they're in jail, they get another flashback, and Tia remembers that they might not be American because they used to speak another language before the accident. They also let slip when giving their names that their second names are actually Castaway instead of Malone, as it's... You know, the Malone being the name of their foster parents, which yeah. they used before, they suddenly slip out with, yeah, Tia Castaway. Yeah. And like, oh, what, what, what the fuck was that? And at this point, I realised something that was really bothering me about these flashbacks. And obviously... The <laughs> Only whole... one. Well, <laughs> the main one, which is that in a film where you have a recurring theme like this... yeah. Usually what will happen is something that happens in the present will then... Trigger the memory. Yeah, it it will trigger the memory. It will inform the part of the memory that comes back. So, like, you know, you you see a, a chicken and you remember that you were murdered by a chicken. Yes. That kind of very simple things. But in all of these flashbacks, the things that are being remembered are completely not to do with what's happening to them. That's right, yeah. So, so as an audience member, you can't piece the puzzle together whilst you're watching. Mm. You have to wait till the next um, the next flashback to be told the next part of the story. Unfortunately, it's very contrived because there isn't, because there isn't much to a flashback scene anyway, there's no real visual cues that they can then put in the script to set these memories off because yeah because it's literally just them drowning yeah so because basically what Tia's got PTSD before I think we really established what the hell PTSD is yeah real world so I think it's quite clear from the script that we just don't have an understanding of 
what it is yeah. and what can trigger it. And it can be words, it can be sounds, it can even be smells. Yeah. But here it's just like, oh, I'm remembering that thing again because I'm a bit bored and my mind's wandered. Yeah. It's a bit and random. It f- and it feels like the rest of the film is kind of happening just to fill time between the flashbacks at this point. Yes, it does. Because at this point, the flashbacks have happened so many times that obviously it's the most important thing for the conclusion of the film is going to be these flashbacks. But everything else that's happening in the film is not related to the flashbacks. Yeah, would you say at this point, everything here on is technically speaking filler? Up until the last scene? Mm, Kind of. Because... We've established the kids are on the run. We've established who's against them. And enough does anything happen now in terms of plot between now and getting to getting the phone call five minutes towards the end. Not really. Yeah. It's very much a they're in being pursued from here until the end of the film, yeah. basically. Yeah. And the stakes don't change very much. No, and we don't learn anything new about the characters, they don't develop in any way. No, but we get a couple more flashbacks. So, yeah. so yeah, you're right. It's just filling time between flashbacks at this point. Yeah. So yeah, as I say, last, this flashback, we establish that they might not be American because they feel that they used to know another language before the accident. Welsh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tony asks Tia to pass him his harmonica because the sheriff confiscated it. So she flies the harmonica into the room, Yeah. into the cell room. And then Tony using his harmonica, he makes basically a puppet man. Mm. It reminded me of the Muppet Man from the Muppet movies when all the Muppets are standing together on yeah. each other in a coat. Yes. But yeah. just with the Muppets taken out. <laughs> so it's basically just a floating coat mm. um, on a broom, which harasses the sheriff, basically. Yeah, harasses him until he sort of disappears and not to be seen for a couple of scenes. We've yeah. not mentioned the important bit of this scene. Which is? The dramatically convenient bear in a cage outside. Oh, yes. Well, we're getting to that. Yeah, I mean, you're that, just like out window, like, oh, there's a bearing cage there. The one note that I made was that this it must be the only sheriff in uh, filmic history that actually confiscates a criminal's harmonica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because if, every yeah. film has that guy on the harmonica in his cell. Yeah, it must be a different policy there, like, gives him, like, a ruler to twang Against so instead. Surely it must be US law that you cannot confiscate a harmonica. Yeah. <laughs> like I thought that was the one thing you can't keep. Um the other thing is as well, I know it's fun to see Tony playing his harmonica, but he could have explained his plan to Tia, who could have done it without him getting the harmonica, because she has the same power. Yeah. Without anyway. Pretty much. And then I also I thought it was really funny because the sheriff has one of these um a window above his door into the office which is clearly wide open which is how the harmonica gets in and out Um, but then Tony is stood directly outside playing the harmonica and the sheriff never notices Mm. (laughs) which I just thought was funny and then we have a mob in front of the sheriff's office and he says the kids must be witches yeah that's right because they escape they release the bear as they're escaping. Release the bear. Yeah. And yeah, the, the inevitable mob are now on a literal witch hunt, they yeah. think. And uh, a, a comical thing about the dialogue that I point uh, I thought was really funny, the sheriff basically tells the whole town to arm up and meet him back there, but every single person in the shop has a rifle in their hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the sheriff's gone a bit blind. Yeah, I think so. Too much whiskey. Well, 
Must have been that coat. The, the zip must have caught his eye <laughs> as it was swinging round. So they release the bear and they end up going into the woods and they immediately have an argument about fucking off the bear and going it on their own, which yeah. is a sort of a trait that's sort of happening. They, they re- release the wild animals, then they abandon them for the rules. For, for, for plot reasons. Yeah, we, we, for a joke. We can only use this special effect once, so uh, we'll get rid of it. Yeah. When I was doing a bit of research, apparently the bear was only active for... I think less than an hour a day mm. for when they were filming. So they clearly couldn't have this bear in this film for very long anyway. Stands to pra- reason. Practically. But yeah, I know what you mean. It basically, they use every animal once and then discard it. The other plot. thing to be really grim here. So there's a shot in a minute. So inevitably, the mob runs into the bear because they like think the kids in the cave. Yeah. Go overlook the bear. When it stands up... I could quite clearly see signs of it. The bear have been abused. Yeah, seventies California, I'm afraid. Yeah, there's marks all over it. But it's quite clearly so. I was a bit uncomfortable with this. Yeah, yeah. But it was a different time, Chris. Hmm. Still won't make it right, though, does it, Tim? No, it doesn't. No. Well, hopefully, he managed to. The bear actually managed to eat a member of the crew. That would have been good. Yeah, that'd be nice. So they meet up with Jason. At Jason's brother's house. It was a fucking crap plan, Jason. God damn it. But it worked, to be fair. they, they all No, it didn't. Married. They got jailed. But they got out, eventually. Because there isn't an actual person playing Jason's brother, yeah. there's just a really comedy sign outside his house that with his full name on it. Basically like, Jason's brother's house. <laughs> so, why could it just been a random house? Why Jason's brother... I guess it was to class as, you know, a reason for Jason to have this safe house that people wouldn't be looking at him at. Why but not? That basically, they didn't want to pay an extra actor just to be in it as his brother. Yeah, it's it, a weird one. We could have just like said, oh yeah, I've got a barn just outside of Stony Creek. Yeah. It would have the same effect, you'd have thought. It's kind of the same, in the same vein of why every TV show leading character has one dead parent. So that they all, oh um, yeah. So that they don't have to pay for an extra parent to be involved. I, that, this is ah. what this is what stuck out for me was that yeah. they just that they needed a brother to have a safe house, but then they couldn't be bothered to hire an extra body. This explains why there's so many Christmas films. Yeah, yeah, because it's so affordable because all the parents are dead. all the parents are already dead. Yeah, or they're divorced. Yeah, if if the parent is the main character they're always divorced so that you can get a character to play the other person for like the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes yeah. of the film and then you can have the kids just moan about how you know you're not my dad and dad would be very disappointed in me and i miss my dad for all the film yep the scripts write themselves so you pay you save money on a writer as well i am available for hire by the way as a writer <laughs> at me on twitter kids <laughs> S-W-O-L. Escape to which mountain, then? Escape to which mountain? <laughs> yeah, so his plan was a bit bollocks. And after a bit more remembering, that's when our bad guys start homing in on them. So you've got Donald Pleasance in the car. Before we carry on, yep. this was a bit that I quite liked, where they managed to figure out during this scene in Jason's brother's house, again, over breakfast or a meal of some kind, yeah. they deduced that they must be related to the people that live in Witch Mountain. And they did this without a flashback. 
because earlier in the conversation they talk about the fact that there are these weird people that live on Witch Mountain that yeah. people think Witch Mountain is this? The Andes? Kilimanjaro? Oh, come on, Chris. <laughs> no. No, no, no. But, oh. <laughs> oh. But yeah, so uh, I, I liked that because it didn't require a flashback to be told. They actually worked that out for their goddamn selves. Yeah, they did. I mean, we have a flashback anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but but before that, just quickly, so the car of Donald Pleasanton comes to the house. Yeah, so, so, so t- Tia sends him an SMS text message to the bear. <laughs> I've always got the same thing in. I got in, Tia activates the bear. <laughs> Who then, without, yeah, considering the bear could be miles and miles and miles away, yeah. just jumps into Ranian's car so that he can't get in it. Yeah. Which I thought was brilliant. Um, and then out of the blue, the kids decide that uh, they are aliens. This comes out of nowhere. These... This really does. So it's more thinking again. More synth stuff going on. If they suddenly remember there were two stars and maybe it wasn't a boat. Maybe it was a spaceship instead. It's like, yeah. well, where's this all come from? The aliens now? What? Yeah, so basically... And the reason that they've got the two stars is because there's two stars on Tia's uh, case, isn't it? Yeah. So at this point, I realised that these were basically two twins from Tatooine. And uh, these are Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker. Basically, yeah. Two years before that happened. But um, We're on to you, George. <laughs> But then, um, as these kids are explaining, oh, we must be aliens, Jason don't give two shits. He's very accepting, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and at I, that point, I realised no. that nobody gives two shits about the kids' powers at any point in this film. Mm. Everyone that finds out these kids have powers are just like, yeah, fine. It's very bizarre. Maybe they all had the ice cream. Maybe they're all drugged. Again, it's going back to like the computer war tennis shoes, where this kid suddenly becomes a, has a brain of a supercomputer and everyone just goes, yeah, that's I mean, fine. As I said earlier on in the last episode, I like the idea that sometimes the inevitable things you get in a story are sort of shrugged off nonchalantly so you can get on with a plot. You are right here. It's very weird that the only people interested in being psychic are bad guys who want to exploit them for money. Yeah. No one else actually cares at any point and it's very weird like jason never even questions it yeah the, um, one of my worst my least favorite tropes is when something is obviously happening a lot and every everyone disregards it and says that's not what's happening or what's going on yeah but equally i feel like you need at least like the first couple of incidences for people to go what so then you can yeah because explain all... it and everyone be fine afterwards but literally nobody in this film gives a shit that these kids are jedi because otherwise you'd like wonder, well, in this world, is it normal for kids to be psychic? Yeah, I'm like, am I, am I crazy watching this? Why yeah. is everyone accepting of this? Yeah. And apparently aliens exist and everyone's fine with it. I mean, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Because it's literally called Escape to Witch Mountain. So they get... I thought they were witches. What's going on? <laughs> but they get to uh, Misty Valley, uh, which turns out to be a local co-op, uh, but there's nothing in there. Um Apart from food, that's twice the price of when you go to Tesco. Oh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lincoln should co-op, everybody. <sighs> Can't believe I live around the corner from a co-op. Bloody expensive in there. I used to I used to work at a co-op, so I quite like the co-op. I, in fact, I worked at two co-ops. Oh, yeah, you did, didn't you? Yeah, petrol station as well. Bloody old Tim, it's so expensive in there. Reduce the prices, were you? Oh, I've told you about, have I told you about the honey situation at the co-op? No. This is my favourite thing about a co-op, was like, for a retailer, they really like to be... Be honey, eh? Mm, 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 <laughs> yes, mm. very good, thank mm, you. Mm. They they like to be 
very community conscious and uh, environmentally conscious and things like that, um, which is one of the reasons they legitimised their higher prices. But one of their policies was that you have to have, every store has to have at least one metre of shelving dedicated to just honey. <laughs> As in the, really? Yeah, because they want to help um, sus- bees and sustainability or some shit. So they had to have a whole metre's shelf of honey in every store which is fine for a supermarket but i worked in a petrol station that sold eight different types of honey is that still true no i don't know next time you go into a co-op have a look I, I'm, I'm literally going to take my tape measure into co-op and go mm. <laughs> excuse, me, excuse me you only have 800 centimeters <laughs> 80 centimeters of shelving are dedicated to bees i shall report you you are killing for bees and I just thought, like, it's people would come in and be like, have you got marmalade? And I'd be like, no, but if you want four different types of honey, we've got that. Bees don't shit marmalade. Get out. <laughs> anyway, that's been your uh, fortnightly supermarket roundup. Oh, fantastic. <sighs> so there's more hunting going on. And I think at this point, the price on Tia and uh, Antonia's heads have been... Well, not not the heads, they want them alive. But it's been raised to five grand, so like yeah. even more motivation for everyone to go hunt them. Yeah, and they get to this local co-op, and Tony remembers that it is a front. It's not an actual business. No. So he... And he remembers that he needs to use the phone. Um, and so he rings... The, he picks up the phone, knows... He, Instantly, what number to dial? Yeah, and some dude on the line um, knows who they are and tells them to go out of the back door. Yeah, yeah. knows all about them, knows their history, but have been looking for them for years and years. And thank God you're alive. So, again, this from a from an audience perspective, I didn't like this bit because I felt left out because I didn't know. Tony clearly knows what's going on, but he's not communicating it to us. No, and considering that the what whole... are we buying readers? Yeah, unlike them that actually are. Yeah. But um, Tony and Tia, like, for the whole film, it's been Tia that's been remembering everything. And then suddenly, at the last minute, it's Tony that remembers all of the actual yeah, because, important information. Because does Tia, her remembering anything actually amount to anything tangible in the plot? Or is it just her going, oh, yeah, no, it might be that? Yeah, the whole film's happening while she's going, oh, yeah, I've remembered this thing from years ago that's irrelevant. Bloody hell, Tia. You had one job. Fucking Tia. So then they jump back in the winning out the back. And uh, then we have a long chase. So again, go back to a computer or tennis shoes. Yeah, it's a, another Disney live action trope of a very action-free car chase. Yeah, 10 um, minutes of nothing. Except this time, instead of paint... They throw flour. There's flour. Yeah, so Tia telekinetically throws a big bag of flour at the hunters in a car and the, they wackily end up uh, stuck up in a tree. Yeah. So this is something that happens in so many Disney films and it's so boring. May I say, because the flour, is when it's thrown across, is blue screened in. Yeah. Terrible effects. It is, yeah. Really, very low budget considering what they've done before, like bloody Mary Poppins, you know, literally having Dick Van Dyke dance around penguins and all that lot. I've yeah. probably couldn't even chrome her in a bag of flour properly here. It's very weird. The thing for this, I'm, I, I only know this as a big Star Wars nerd from back in the day. So this film came out in 1975. Mm. Um, 1977 onwards is your Star Wars. Yep. And one thing that I remember George Lucas saying on a lot of the um, bonus features for the Star Wars trilogy special edition was that 
the hardest time to do a blue screen effect is onto a daytime shot because there is always a very big obvious outline around the effect that you're trying to create yeah and when it's like in star wars which was later than this because it's all filmed in space where it's dark backgrounds it means that the dark outline doesn't become visible oh of course yeah and so, they can like fade into it and yeah. do all sorts of like, little sort of tricks whereas this whole car scene is a very bright daytime yeah. so i noticed the bad effects but i was aware of the time that it was made and the actual scene so i did let it off okay i've, I've never thought about the whole daytime thing before when it comes to green screen yeah, effects yeah because one of the things that george lucas really disliked about when they did the empire strikes back is the ice scene on hoth is in daytime mm. and one of the ways one of the effects that they did was that they um for a shot coming from inside the cockpit of the snow speeders when they're attacking the atats they superimposed the actual window displays and all of the flashing buttons over the top of footage of the first person flight yeah to stop having a really solid outline around the windows what they had to do was they had to make the window effect actually slightly translucent so in the original cut from um, empire strikes back from back in 1980 if you look closely you can actually see through the window um surround right and obviously, when they went back to the special edition, that was when they made it a lot more opaque. Mm. So even back, even by 1980, they were really struggling to have um, blue screen effects used when a daytime scene. Right, that makes sense. Well, we are learning a lot today. We are, yes. Well, yeah. And you thought this was just a comedy podcast about Disney. Not just no, lols. It's educational. It's informative. And not just lols. I do swear sometimes too. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, then um, the, the the end sequences happen so quickly that I basically didn't write very much. Yeah, I mean, so what I've got next is we have Mr. Bolt in his chopper. Yeah, he's in a helicopter now. Yeah, so <laughs> at this point, the voice put on the other end of the telephone, which has now transmitted into Tony's brain for some reason, is now like saying, yeah, we'll come up with a plan which scares off Mr. Bolt and everyone else forever and ever. And for some reason, this plan involves having the uh, having Jason's motorhome float up. Yep. So it's next to the helicopter, and, and again, as you were just saying about daytime, so the screen screen is a bit naff. It's really bad for this because it is quite obviously flat. Yeah, it's a very static flat image of a Winnebago, like it's been cut yeah. out of a magazine. Yeah. And just stuck on, <laughs> stuck on front of the well, camera. With like a little lollipop stick at the end, like going yeah, it along. Yeah, it's really bad. It, 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 I know we'd, I know we've just explained why it's bad, but it is particularly bad. Oh yeah, they should have just tried done something else if it was going to be this bad. Yeah, they could have had at least a three D object that they were animating, but it's yeah. not. It's, it's really bad. But so, yeah, so basically they're flying a Winnebago at this point. They are, for reasons unknown, with the gag being that they're flying upside down until Mister Bot realizes, hang on a minute, it's actually the helicopter that's upside down. Whoa! <laughs> and then the helicopter sort of flies away out of control because, you know, it's upside down. The pilots don't experience that sort of thing. Yeah, so it's just an extra bit of travel, basically. And yeah. it ends with them, they land the Winnebago in a field. I've got an exact quote here. The voice says, we should get out here and wait. Because that's what a sane man says. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, there is some pretty bad yeah. dialogue. And then just before 
we get a final reveal for no reason at all. Uh, Tia and Tony go to Jason. There you go. Here's Mr. Winky. We're giving him away for no reason. To this man that has not really liked the cat in particular at this point. Yeah. They've not had a relationship at all. So, I don't know why they're giving the cat away. So, they've, given the, they've abandoned a horse, they've, <laughs> yeah. they've left the bear in someone's car, and now... We've had enough of this one. We've we've exhausted all of our powers over yeah. this cat. You can have it. It's useless to us now. Bloody hell, no one give it a dog. Especially around Christmas. <laughs> they just shoot it in the face. Yeah. But yeah, so then um, they run off into some trees. Um, well, no, we meet we meet the vi- mysterious voice. Yes, we? which is uh, uh, Uncle Benno. Uncle, yeah. Ben, Benno, Ben... Ben... Meh? No. For Ben, yeah, something like that. Uh, Uncle Benny. Uncle Benny, we'll call him, yeah, reunite with him. And so they're like hugging him all that long. They instantly recognise him, by the way. Yeah. And I've got oh, no... By, by the way, he was on the boat with us when we were drowning. I was literally about to ask, did he actually have anything to do with the boat? So yeah. I guess... So the, the... we've actually forgotten to write down a flashback at this point, because there was a flashback earlier where she, where Tia does mention that they had an uncle who was on the boat with them, but she... It's just so there, many flashbacks. There are a couple of like quick shots of a man with white hair in there, but yeah. it's also blurry and such. There's no reason to pay attention to that detail because yeah, it's also. And when this guy is running up to us as an audience, we don't recognise him as this Uncle Benny guy yeah. because the shot of him in the boat was so grainy and cloudy. We didn't know, so it wasn't until the kids go, "Oh, look, it's Uncle Benny," that we actually knew who he was. Yeah. So yeah. And then he basically gives us lots of spiel, basically saying, "Oh, there could be sequels here." Because did you know there are other children that survived? Yes. And they've not yet discovered their star boxes, which have maps on. Even though we could literally write in marker pen on the boxes, "Look inside, you fucking idiots." And at this point, I was like, all these kids that are missing, in this flashback of them drowning, there was literally just the two of them and this old man. Yeah. Like, there's in a very small boat. Yeah. So there's no... It felt like a tacked-on bit to say that there might be a sequel right at the end. Yeah. And then they basically, they all run off into some trees, leaving um, Jason. They leave Jason, and we have one final confrontation. With Mr. Bolt as he appears in the helicopter and lands upside down, clean on its rotors. <laughs> Which I did think was a pretty funny effect. It fact. was, yeah. So that, yeah, because then the helicopter's spinning round whilst the blade's still. Yeah. <laughs> Which I suspect is where half the budget went for this film. <laughs> yeah. And then just as he's about to go and chase them, they disappear over the hills in a UFO. In a massive UFO. They wave, away they go. And then Jason says something about... I can't remember now. I didn't even write anything. But that was the end. I will miss you. <laughs> I fucking hate you, though. <laughs> yeah, so that that was Escape to Witch Mountain. Right. Before uh, we have our final thoughts, Chris... Yep. I've prepared a little game for us. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, like A bit like the quiz that we did in the first... Oh, the no, no, it's not really. Um, so, um, this Christmas... I was given the game Speak Out, if you've ever heard of it. No, I've not. It's the game where you... One second, let me go. Oh, no, it's actually getting... There's actually props. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. It's the game where you put one of these weird things in your mouth to sound weird. Ooh. Have you ever seen this big game before? Or is this just creeping you out no end? I've watched too many horror films. I'm very scared. <laughs> 
So it's basically like a speculum for your mouth that you then have to try and speak a sentence and people have to try and figure out what you're saying. Tim, barely can, people can barely understand what I'm saying without anything in my that, mouth. That's the beauty of it, because you're going to do the guessing. What is going on? <laughs> right, I'm going to grab the game box, prove it is a real thing. I okay. can't believe this This thing is all the rage over in in York, where I live. That thing looks like a torture implement. Look. Okay, so it's a game called Speak Out. On, on the box, it's got a massive lip on it. Oh god. That's not, just looks like a bit of a horror game to me. There's there's two people on it. They've got it on their mouths. They look clearly uncomfortable. Their gums have been ripped to shreds because they've been stretched out too far. Well, that's what's going to happen right now. Oh god. I've just called my dentist now. <laughs> because what I did, whilst I was watching the film, I actually wrote down some lines from the script that I thought were particularly boring. For you to try and figure out what I'm saying. Oh, God, okay. How does this work, then? Let me... I'll do the speaking. You've got to try and figure out what I'm saying. Okay, fair enough. I'm right. about to say, I hope you wash that first. If you really <laughs> Let's see if I can remember how this goes in your mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm... I'm having flashbacks to playing this game over Christmas. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I think this was a scene in Hostel. <laughs> We've got um, a video of... Um, Kirsty and Gemma singing a song from Moana with one of these in, so we'll have to put that on the uh, on the podcast yeah, page. We will do. I'll definitely do that tonight. Right, is that it? <laughs> Looks horrific. So I'm gonna say some lines <laughs> from the script for you to then guess what I'm saying. Are you ready? I'm ready. Well, about as ready as I'm gonna be. I'm quite scared at the <laughs> Okay. Anything in this world you ask me for. I'll give you it. <laughs> anything, something, something, I'll give you it. Yeah, anything in this world that you ask me for, I'll give you it. Oh, yeah, what Mr. Vault said. Yeah. <laughs> anything. Anything of, in this world. Anything in this world that yeah. you want, and I'll give you it. Yes. yes. <laughs> well done. I did it, I'm so glad we've got separate microphones now. <laughs> okay, no, no two. I ain't no hustling and I ain't partial to kids. <laughs> I ain't no bus ride, I ain't partial to no kids. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Right, here we go. Question is it. What is your day? You're <laughs> <laughs> oh god I can't even figure out any of my words in that one I'll say it again okay <laughs> I don't know if this is going to clear it up but it's not a day you're any guess? not a clue <laughs> tell me the answer then the answer is... <laughs> the answer is... <laughs> you lied! <laughs> Last one. Okay. Uh, tell me, it wasn't a country, it was a place. <laughs> well, I've got tear. Oh, but you're drooling everywhere. <laughs> Think of him, it just hit me. For fuck's sake. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Right, so that one was, but Tony, it wasn't a country, it was a place. And the one before was, but Mr. O'Day, you were married. <laughs> oh. So that went half as well as I thought it would. Yeah, two out of four, not bad. <laughs> so yeah, let's get to our final thoughts, shall we? Okay. Okay, you can go first yeah. if you like. Oh, hard. <laughs> um, okay, I quite enjoyed this. I must admit, when I watched it last night, I sort of ran out of patience in a couple of places. You'd seen it before, hadn't you? I had. When I was much younger, it was one of those classical Channel 4 on a Saturday afternoon in the 90s sort of films, you know, back when yeah. Channel 4 used to simply just show films my granddad would watch. Yeah. Yeah. Say, so, uh, I enjoyed it. It could have been a bit tighter in places, and I think with a slightly bigger budget, as proved with, oh, what's it called now? The one with the rocking. The is that Return to Which Man? Oh, um, Race to Which. Race Man. to Which Man. Yeah. Um, if there was a bit more action to it, it probably would have been a bit more exciting. But yeah. other than that, you know, I I did quite enjoy this one, in all fairness, for what it was. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and could have maybe done with being slightly darker as well. I feel like it teased it in places, and yeah. it, it was just a bit afraid to do that. Yeah, I think um, Disney famously got a bit darker in the 80s for mm. a while, um, mainly because they were doing so... They were struggling so much with the sort of family-friendly aspects that they did get darker from here. Yeah. But I think you're right. This film could do with being a bit darker. Um, my final thoughts, again, seems to be very common so far, at least, that there's a very a real vagueness to what the bad guy's motives and characterizations are. Oh, uh, yeah. And I feel like a film does need a good bad guy. It needs... Because it's the it's the bad guys that, you know push the plot forward. It is, yeah. Well, it's like, you know, it's like Joker to Batman. Yeah. You, you know, you need the villain just as much for a hero to work on what the hero is himself. Quite similarly, again, to the Computer War Tennis Shoes, it feels like the bad guy is almost detached from the main characters. Yeah, it feels like it's a requirement, but they don't really want them there. Yeah. But for the sake of a plot of a narrative, they need something in there. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah. I thought the, the it could do with this clearer motivations for the bad guys sure. and characterization. Compared to the Computer War Tennis Shoes, I felt like this film had a, a lot better pacing. Yes, undoubtedly. It definitely felt like it was clipping along at a better rate. Whereas, yeah. whereas the Computer War Tennis Shoes had a lot more scenes and a lot shorter, this felt quicker. Yeah, I mean, I think with uh, computer or tele shoes as well, it was a weird, weirdly structured in that there was a fade out in the middle of the film, yeah. which I've just never seen. Yeah. It was a film, literally a film with two halves. Yeah. Um, but here, it was a lot more traditionally structured. Yeah. Um, I feel like with some of the time they sort of wasted towards the end with traces and such, they could have done with building more suspense, yeah. doing more to tease out but the kids are paranormal instead of just revealing it all during a baseball game. Yeah, I feel like it, it would have been nicer if the audience could have been involved in the problem solving and the mystery element of it yeah. more. But I enjoyed it a lot more than the last film. Yes, definitely. Um, So 
I'm going to give it six gems out of ten. Okay. So that's two more than I gave Computer Watch. That's machines. true, yeah. It's it's above, you know, the middle, yeah. at least. Um, as much as I enjoyed it more, I don't feel I'm too fussed about seeing it again. Mm, no, I'm not. No, no. Well, like I said, it's probably been like 20 years since I first saw it. I I probably won't watch it ever again. No, it's not one that's going to be added to my collection. No, definitely not. I mean, uh, I'll better give my gem as well if I forget. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go two more as well from the last one and go seven. Yeah, uh, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, I thought it was very solid. I'd, I'd Hopefully rec- not the best thing we see, but... Yeah, I would recommend it other people watch it. Yep. If you've not seen it, I would definitely recommend it. Um, I feel like it's the kind of Disney film which Disney have a lot of, which is you will enjoy it more if you did see it when you were younger. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because uh, and a lot of family-friendly films are in that vein. Because mm. controversially, I did not see many '80s films when I was younger. So a lot oh, of things. Neither that did are, I. I know this isn't an '80s film, but I'm talking about there are so many films that people consider cult classics that I can't stand because I just don't have a memory of them. All the, yeah, all, all that 80s nostalgia bollocks, like, I don't get The Goonies, for example. I, I don't understand why I, it's so popular. I watched The Goonies for the first time last year. Yeah. Me and Kirsty watched it. And I did enjoy it. I quite enjoyed The Goonies. My big one that everyone likes, which I do not like, is Labyrinth. I'm with you on that one. Oh, nice. Yes. Nice. Yes. Can't stand it. Although my reason is very niche. Which is? Well, I might as well tell this story. So it was on the Disney Channel on a Friday night in October 1999. And it starts... This is a very, very, very vivid memory. You'll understand why in a minute. (laughs) And it starts at 8 o'clock. Now, the problem was... Rescuing started on the channel uh, on the next channel over at nine o'clock, but because my sister protested enough, I had to miss the first hour of rescuing, and a title change happened in that first hour. And to this day, I've been mad at Labyrinth. I'm my sister. Hi, Kirsty. <laughs> uh, until well, I say I'm still mad at her now. I just don't like it because I I don't get it. <laughs> oh, that too. Yeah, we're well, all. That's my spicy take for the night. Yeah. Anyway, I guess that's... Uh... We'd better wrap it up before we hit the two-hour mark. Yeah, so um, you got to pick this film. It was my turn to pick today. Yes, it is. So what are you going to pick for us, Tim, for next time? Well, it's convenient that we've talked about a bit of Star Wars tonight because we are going to be watching Disney's uh, rip-off of Star Wars from 1979, The Black Hole. Oh, okay. I've heard of it. I've not seen it, but yeah. Which is precisely why I picked it, because it is one that I have not seen, but really do uh, want to see. I've actually been watching a few YouTube videos that have been talking about it recently, so I'm quite excited. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, It's one that I've been wanting to see for a while. And again, 1979, this is on the cusp of what you were looking for, which is when Disney tried to go a bit darker. Mm. But I think it was the first Disney film to... Either get, I don't know if it was a PG or a 12 rating. Oh, right, okay. Oh, interesting. So, if it's good, woman. So, that was what we'll be watch, uh, watching on the next episode. Yeah, so. So, uh, Chris, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at kidswol, S W O L, and I also have another podcast, uh, Cinema Archery. 
cinemarchview.com for your horror sequel and reboot needs. What are you currently uh, shitposting on Twitter at the minute? What's your wrestling thing at the moment? Well, at the moment, I'm taking the famous to wrestling fans. Obviously, you don't know what what was going on. Having a clue. Yeah. Uh, the music video for Steve Austin versus The Rock at WrestleMania 17, which is said to be like the best video promo ever, um, and it's cut to Limp Biscuits my way. So my theory, which I've now proven to be correct, is you can remove that song and put in any 90s pop banger into it, <laughs> and it'll work just as well. Brilliant. Yeah, and uh, where can we find you, Tim? Uh, you can find me on RH Timbles, uh, T-I-M-B-L-E-S, on Twitter, um, and our official Twitter is at without a mouse. Yep. And I don't shit post all sorts of. I, I do Disney shit posting. So if you like Disney, um, you'll like that. <laughs> Sounds good to me. And we should probably purchase the domain withoutamouse.com at some point if it's available. Before someone else buys it and tries to sell it to us. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll look into that. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.